0: Well, I hope uh, you all had a merry, merry Christmas, um, and early in advance, I guess, and wishing a very happy New Year as well. One thousand three hundred years ago, one thousand three hundred years ago, there's various stories that go around, but it's rumored and told over and over that a Ethiopian goat herder was herding his goats and noticed that some of his goats were eating these tiny red berries. And all of a sudden becoming very energized. And so he took these same red berries, ate them, and found that he also had this feeling of energy. And it's said that from there is how they discovered coffee. These coffee beans grew in Ethiopia. They were exported to Yemen, exported to Arabia, and they were processed and developed. And they were poured over hot water as we drink it today. And so for about 1,300 years, uh, humans have been consuming, drinking coffee. Now, um, about 200 years years later, so 1,100 years ago, they took that same coffee, the Ethiopians took that same coffee and mixed it in with something known as ghee, G-H-E-E, which is a clarified butter. And they found that when they mixed this coffee with this ghee, it would give them the sustained energy. So this has been going on now for 1,100 years. So now picture this. All of a sudden, you're Ethiopian, and you read maybe five years ago that something new and amazing has been discovered by Dave Ashby called bulletproof coffee. It gives you energy and vitality because it mixes coffee with butter and then also coconut oil. And if you're Ethiopian, you're probably thinking, we've been doing this for 1,100 years. There's nothing new about this thing called bulletproof coffee. Well, here's the thing. You may have some benefits. I don't know if you've ever tried it, uh, Bulletproof Coffee. You may have experienced some benefits. But again, it's something that's been going on for a very, very long time. Now, here's another thing that I want to share that's been going on for 3,500 years that I would say has even greater benefits than Bulletproof Coffee. And that practice, that spiritual discipline that has been practiced for at least 3,500 years, there's a reference in Exodus 34, 18, in which Moses is going up to the mountaintop of Mount Sinai to meet with God again the second time for his covenant renewal, in which the Ten Commandments are gonna be published. He says, Then he fasted for 40 days. And so, what I wanna talk about today is the biblical practice of fasting, what it is and how we put it into practice. So, even though it's been practiced for a long time, how it can benefit us today. And these are some of the benefits. The benefits are when you are in need of direction, if you're saying, Lord, I need to know if I take this job or go to this school. I need to know if I attend this grad school or take this residency. I need your direction. Or if you're like me, you've experienced spiritual dryness, like you feel like you're in the desert and God seems distant. You say, God, I want to be near to you again. I want to feel you and experience you. I want to be close to you. Or if you're going through a particular situation that you see no way out of. When the doctor gives you a diagnosis and a prognosis and he says, hey, all hands are off. There's nothing I can do about your mom or about you or about your dad or about your children. Or you face a very difficult situation at work where the boss says, you sell 20,000 of these widgets and if you don't, you lose your job. And you face an impossible situation. These are the types of things where fasting can benefit you. So if you have your Bibles, look at Ezra, Ezra. So find Psalms. Job, then Esther, Nehemiah, then Ezra, and hold your finger there because starting on January 10th, we're going to start a series called Jesus for the People of City, and we're going to go through the book of Nehemiah. So we're going to look at the book right before Nehemiah called Ezra, called Ezra. So this practice will help you to know God's heart as well. So again, we're going to go over today, what is fasting, what is biblical fasting, How do we put it into practice? How can we practice today? And the benefits of it. In Ezra chapter 8, Ezra chapter 8, if you know the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, so the people have been in captivity in Babylon now. And now God has said, hey, it's time to go back. And so Artaxerxes, the king, has given them permission to go back. And during this time, it's still a very treacherous and difficult uh, journey. So right now, where this is being written at the Ahava River, is in uh, northeast of Baghdad. So it's a trip going southwest uh, into Jerusalem. So this is what happens as they prepare to journey from Babylon back to Jerusalem. Verse 21, Ezra eight twenty-one, Ezra eight twenty-one. "'Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava "'that we might humble ourselves before our God "'to seek from him a safe journey for us, "'our little ones and all of our possessions.'" Verse 22, for I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way, because, he, uh, because we had said to the king, the hand of our God is favorably disposed on all, to all those who seek him, but his power and his anger are against all those who forsake him. Verse 23, so we fasted and sought our God concerning this matter, and he listened to our entreaty. Some translations say he answered our entreaty. So in this passage, we find that, again, Ezra and the Jews are heading back to Jerusalem. It's a very treacherous journey full of robbers, and he says, even here, the enemy. And notice this in verse 22. Be careful when you brag on God, because in verse 22, he says, I was ashamed to request from the king, King Artaxerxes, troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way. Why? Because he had bragged on, had said to the king, and this is true. He says, the hand of our God is faithfully disposed to all those who seek him but his power and his anger against all those who forsake him. So he says, you know what? God's got us, God's got us. And here's the thing that it goes person to person how the Lord leads because Nehemiah facing this exact same situation going from Babylon back into Jerusalem, he asks the king for protection. He says, hey, send some troops and all that with us or protect us along the way. So here he says, the reason why I didn't ask is because I told the king, God's got us. And so they fast. So here's point number one. Point number one is this, and this is around 458 BC, about 2,500 years ago. When God's people have a need that only he can meet, we must pray and fast to intimately align with him. When we have a need that we face, a particular situation, a difficult situation, a challenging situation where we say, you know what, we have a need that we cannot meet, a medical need, a protection need, a financial need, some type of need that we have, a directional need that we can't meet. We don't know the future. We need to pray and fast to intimately align with him. And that's what he says. He proclaims a fast amongst the people that they would humble themselves before God. And they're asking God to give them a safe journey. Now, here's four things. I want to just give you a a note because fasting is practiced widely by all kinds of faiths and backgrounds. And there's even like medical fast now and fasting to lose weight and maintain weight. I want to talk about what biblical fasting is not first. So here's four things that biblical fasting is not. First off, biblical fasting is not a hunger strike. Biblical fasting is not a hunger strike. It's not a hunger strike. And you know, if you've seen it before in the news or read about it, so Mahatma Gandhi, Cesar Chavez, people would fast for political independence. People would fast, I mean not fast, they would have a strike, a hunger strike in order to say, you know what, until workers' rights are granted, until we have political independence, until we have women's suffrage, until we have all these things, we're not going to eat until this happens. And they will isolate themselves, and they will just lay there typically because there's not enough energy to do anything else, and say, I'm not going to eat or drink until this situation changes. And biblical fasting is not that. Biblical fasting is not a hunger strike when you say to God, God, unless you change this situation, unless you change what I'm facing, unless you fix my marriage, unless you give me a spouse, unless you give me a job, I'm not gonna eat at all. I'm gonna pout and not do any, not eat at all, not drink at all. And here's the perspective of God because God is sovereign. He's in control. He has a plan. He has a will. God says, all right, you do you then. If that's what you wanna do, starve yourself. But you're not gonna move me. If you remember in Acts 23, verse 12, Acts 23, 12, there are a group of Jews who were so incensed and so angered by the ministry of the Apostle Paul, they vowed to not eat or drink until Paul was dead, until he was killed. Do y'all remember that, Acts 23? That occurred in 59 AD. So 59 AD. Do you know when Paul finally died? 66 AD. So seven years later, he finally died. So I'm guessing all those people, if that's what they really vowed, actually died because they ne- neither ate or drank. So God has not moved By our pouting, by saying, I'm not gonna eat or drink until you do what I want you to do. So, biblical fasting is not a hunger strike. Number two, biblical fasting is not a diet either. Now, here's the thing if you practice biblical fasting over an extended period of time, just simple physiology, simple biology, you will lose weight. But the purpose of it is not so you can lose weight. It's not a diet program where you say, I'm gonna do these things in order to lose weight. So, it's not a diet. Number three, it's not a way to make God owe you. Where you say, God, I'm not gonna eat, I'm not gonna drink lunch for the next two days or 12 days or whatever, and because I sacrifice this and give up this, now you owe me. You owe me a new job. You owe me a spouse. You owe me a better marriage. You owe me kids. You owe me a better this, whatever it is. You owe me. That's not what fasting is either. Because the greatest sacrifice that was ever made was who? Jesus Christ. And we're not gonna out-sacrifice Jesus. So he says, if we ask for anything in Christ's name, not because we're pouting and saying, I'm sacrificing this, so you owe me, God. So it's not a way to make God owe you. Number four, it is not a legalistic duty. In Luke chapter eight, verses nine through 14, we see a Pharisee, and he's he's basically saying to God, hey, God, I fast twice a week. And the Pharisees of the day would fast on Thursdays and Mondays, and they would do it twice a week. It was something they did every week legalistically. So Fasting is also not something that you do to check the list or check the box. of a program saying, I fast on these particular days. It's based on a grace relationship. So this is what biblical fasting is not. Verse 23, and I'll give you point two. So we fasted and sought our God concerning this matter, and he answered or listened to our entreaty. Uh, he says in the verse one, we might humble ourselves. So let me give you a definition of biblical fasting, and it's point number two. Fasting is a humble demonstration of our need for intimacy with the Father being greater than our need for the intake of food. Fasting is a humble demonstration where we say, God, I'm going to see myself rightly where you've put me, where you've blessed me with humbling yourself and saying, God, my desire for intimacy with you to grab your heart, to know your heart is greater than my desire for intake for food or my need for food. That's what fasting is. Here's two types of spiritual disciplines. There's two types of spiritual disciplines. One is disciplines of engagement. That's like Bible study and prayer where you engage in doing something. But there's also a type of spiritual discipline known as the spiritual disciplines of disengagement or abstinence where you remove yourself, or withdraw yourself. And those can include things like solitude and silence. They can include things like fasting as well. And so I would say like people say, well, can I fast from social media? Can I fast from the internet? Can I fast and all that? I would say that's really not, to me, a fast. That's more of like seeking solitude and silence from the noises of the world. But that's an actual practice, I would say, of a spiritual discipline of disengagement. So fasting is a practice of disengagement or with uh, abstinence, pulling yourself away from. There are three types. There are three types of fasting that I want to highlight. There are actually many, many types. I think some people say there's nine or 12 different types. Let me focus on three. So again, fasting is a humble demonstration of our need for intimacy with the Father being greater than our need for intake of food. The first one is fasting from food and drink. Fasting from food and drink. Fasting from food and drink. And that's found in Ezra chapter eight, the verse we looked at here, Exodus 34, in which Moses fasts from food and drink as he's in the presence of God, getting the covenant renewed for 40 days. And Matthew four, when Jesus fasts for 40 days as well. So it's when you say, I'm not gonna have food and drink. One that you can do is a literal fast for a period of time, for whether it's a day or a week or 40 days. I encourage you, if you have any medical issues, check with your doctor before doing any of this stuff. Uh, but it can also be for a time period. It can be from sun up to sundown. So you say from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So what I'm asking for uh, as members of bi Spring Branch, January 4th through the 8th, we're going to fast from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., from sunup to sundown together. And during your lunch hour, when you would normally be having a nice meal where you can lock yourself in your office or maybe go down in the garage and sit in your car with the Bible and spend that 45 minutes or hour in prayer saying, God, the Bible says in Psalm 42, verses one and two, as the deer pants for the water, as the deer thirsts for water, so my soul longs after you. God, this hunger that I'm feeling right now, this thirst I'm feeling right now, would you translate it, transfer it into a spiritual hunger and desire for you. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 5, 6, those who hunger and thirst, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. So he says, just like I hunger and thirst for food, God, right now as I sit in my car, sit in my locked office, God, would I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Would I hunger and thirst for you? So a way to do that is a particular set period of time abstaining from food and drink. And again, I'm asking Uh, the 4th through the 8th, January 4th, 8th. That's Monday through Thursday or Friday. And here's the good news. On that Friday, what I'm gonna ask is that we would break the fast together by having dinner together in community groups or as a family or just as friends. So if you say, hey, let's all break the fast together, socially distance, all that stuff, we need to take precautions. Sure, you can do that, but let's all break the fast together and maybe go through what God has shown us during that week, Monday through Friday. The second one is this, and this is for married people is uh, 1 Corinthians 7.5. 1 Corinthians 7.5 is fasting for marital intimacy. Fasting for marital intimacy. And you can hopefully read between the lines what marital intimacy is. He says there, he says that you all, husband and wife, your bodies belong to one another. We shouldn't withhold from one another. But in verse five, he says this, except for this time, he says that you can pray together. You can pray together. You can seek intimacy with God together. You can seek a desire and a longing for God together. So you say, you know what? I love my wife. I love my husband. I want to be with them. But you know, right now, my desire to be with the Lord, my desire for direction and guidance from the Lord, our direction, I mean, our need for like some breakthrough, some, something to happen from the Lord is greater than this desire. So another one to do, and this is for married people only, is to abstain from sexual intimacy during a period of time so that you can focus on prayer. And the verse there is 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Let the church, let the married people say amen. All right, two, two people, thank you. And the last one is this, a public or community fast, a public or community fast, a public or community fast. Esther 3.16, Leviticus 23 are examples of that. Where Esther says, you know what, the Jews are about to be slaughtered. They're about to be slaughtered. And what does she ask the people to do, the Jews? To fast and pray, to fast and pray. Uh, and there's another call in Leviticus 23 as well, to fast and pray. So public or community fast, and that's what we're asking for January 4th through the 8th, is that the members of BiCU Fellowship Spring Branch would commit to fasting from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. If you want to, go 24 hours, you're welcome to do that as well, but to fast and pray together. So here's a big idea for today, is intimacy is greater than intake. Intimacy is greater than intake. So fasting is a period when you say, my intimacy with the Lord, my desire for intimacy with him, because I need direction, I want to be close to me, I'm going through a situation I don't have the answers for, I'm facing an impossible situation, I need a breakthrough in my marriage, in my family. He says, my desire for knowing God's heart, connecting to God's heart is greater than my desire and longing for food, and that my desire and longing for food will be translated into my desire for God. So intimacy is greater than intake. Fasting has been practiced by Moses, Elijah, Esther, Daniel, Nehemiah, Paul, and even this, here's the clincher, by Jesus himself. All right? If you remember Matthew chapter 4. So intimacy is greater than intake. Let me wrap up with this. And next week, if you would read, um, I think it's Mark 10, as Jesus talks about fasting as well. So um, a year ago, uh, October of 2019, when coronavirus was just a blip on the radar screen, I sensed from the Lord, I had fasted and prayed that change was coming. I just sensed that my time at the church I was pastoring before I'd been there about eight years was coming to an end. And so at the time, I would started to get uh, emails and contacted, phone calls from various churches saying, hey, would you consider inter- interviewing for this position so I interviewed for a position uh, up in Dallas at a church, multi-site church, as one of their pastors, was one of their finalists. Uh, I interviewed with a church in Chicago as well, interview with a church in Ann Arbor, Michigan, interview with a church in Florida, interviewed with a church, I think, in California. I don't remember all the places, but I was interviewing quite a bit of a few places. And I said, Lord, I need your direction because all these are great opportunities. They're great opportunities. And though I love Houston, I love, love Houston. We've got friends here. We've got a great network. There's so many ministry opportunities. We can make disciples of all nations without even having to cross the oceans. We can just cross our street. I said, I love Houston, but like Genesis 22, I'm willing to sacrifice it. Like I'm willing to lay it on the altar like Abraham laid Isaac on the altar because I don't want anything to get in the way of me following you. So we began to fast and pray, Begin to fast and pray. And it's funny, I have a journal I keep. And so I look back at my journal entries from a year ago. And I'm like, Lord, is this the church? Great interview, amazing interview. Is this the church? Lord, amazing search committee, amazing church opportunity. Is this the one? And I said, God, close doors that need to be closed and open doors that need to be closed. And I just prayed that during our time of prayer and fasting because I don't know the future, but God does. I interviewed with a, a church and their search committee was almost as large as everyone in this room. It was the largest search committee I've been in ever. And, and just, it went so well. The interview was like, you know, just their questions, my answers back and forth. We just hit it off. And I thought, Lord, is this the church? Is this the church? We began to pray that night. And I just sensed this is not the church. I just sensed this is not the church. I don't know what it was. And so the next morning I called the search committee director and I just said, Hey, search committee chair. I just said, Hey, thank you for the interview last night. Really enjoyed it. My wife, I've been praying but we were going to take our name out of the, of, of the running. And he's like, why? And I said, I just, I don't know. I just sent something from the Lord like this is not it. And then about a week later, I got an email from Dr. Bruce Fong at Dow Seminary. Uh, he's like a mentor to me. He's a pastor of pastors. My mom had passed away about three weeks before. So I thought it was an email just saying, hey, would love to get together with you just to see how you're doing after your mom's homegoing. And instead, we sit down for lunch. And I said, hey, is this about my mom's homegoing? Is this about Mrs. Evans also being sick with cancer? He said, no. None of that. He said, I'm sorry for your loss, and I'll be praying for Mrs. Evans. He said, it's about two opportunities. I'm like, all right, tell me about them. He says, well, one of them is in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I was a pastor of this church for a while, and he said, I'd love for you to go interview. They need a teaching pastor, so my wife and I went for a week, interviewed up there, and he said, the second opportunity is this. It's in Houston. And I said, okay, tell me about it. He said, well, it's a church called Bayou City Fellowship. I said, I think I've heard of that church before. And he said, they're looking for a campus pastor at their Spring Branch location. And at this point, I'm like, Lord, I'm willing to go anywhere—Chicago, you know, Michigan, Florida, California, Dallas, wherever. But I said, Lord, you know, like I'm trusting you. If you, if this is a door from you, I'm trusting you. So again, we interview the search team. Great interview uh, because of all the COVID stuff. Our first persons are on Zoom; they're all virtual. And God kept opening door after door after door as we continued to just pray and seek Him. So when I share with you. And also you know how that turned out, right? (laughs) Um, So when I share with you about prayer and fasting, uh, this is something that we can practice on a regular basis, not ritualistically, but out of a desire to really align ourselves with God's heart, to seek Him, and also seek direction from Him as well. So if you are going through a situation like that, especially in this very topsy-turvy 2020 with the economy going up and down, or you're uncertain about various things in your life, your health and your future, If I can encourage you to join us January 4th through 8th as we, as a church body, pray and fast together and really align ourselves with God's heart and seek intimacy with Him. And I'm excited to see how God leads and directs us. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful for um, this ancient spiritual discipline that's been practiced for over 3,000 years by your people. And God, I pray that um, as we put it into practice, both collectively as a community In January, God, that you would meet us, God, as we seek you and seek your heart and long to be with you, just like we long for a good meal, just like even now as we get closer to lunch, we're already getting hungry. We can feel those hunger pangs and the desire for food. God, we desire and long and hunger to be with you, God. God, I pray for those who are in this room right now, in this congregation, God, who are seeking you just because they're in a very spiritually dry place. God, you seem so distant so far. God, I pray for those who are seeking your direction. God, whether it's a decision about a job, about a direction in a relationship, a direction with their finances, a direction with their children, and perhaps their schooling, God, as they fast and say our desire for intimacy is greater than our desire for intake of food, God, that you would meet them, God. We know that the the fasting, biblical fasting, is not a hunger strike. It's not making uh, you owe us anything, that if we do this, then you have to lead us, and you have to direct us, and you have to bless us. God, it's really aligning our hearts with your hearts, God, and hearing from you. It's relational. It's grace-based. It's gospel-oriented, God. So God, I pray for this church this particular local body that you have called me to, God, that as we engage in prayer and fasting in the first full week of January, God, again, God, that our hearts would unite and connect with your heart because we say as a group, our desire for intimacy is greater than a desire for intake of food. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.